Today's episode is dedicated to Jack Mahlers. Jack is a dear friend of the show, and we interviewed him in episode 0.5.0. He is recovering from a serious injury. We wish you well, Jack, and hope you enjoy the episode. This episode gets technical. If you have not already read the book Mastering Bitcoin's section on the Lightning Network, then I encourage you to do that before listening. If you're a fan of the noted Bitcoin podcast and would like to encourage us to continue, we have a SegWit P2SH address up on noted.org. That's N-O-D-E-D.org. Thank you. And without further ado, here's episode 0.12.0 with Alex Bosworth. People still talk about the idea of a killer app. You know, they say, oh, Bitcoin needs a killer app. Of course, for a while it was like, well, what if sending Bitcoin itself is the killer app, which that might be the case. Maybe the phrase is already outdated anyway, but maybe the Lightning Network could be this killer application of, of Bitcoin technology. So up to now, there's been the store of value use case for Bitcoin. You know, people say HODL in the community and you hold on. By the way, it doesn't actually stand for anything. It's just a misspelling. Yes. <laughs> it's a meme in the community. Uh, so the goal of Lightning is to really bring this application layer. Uh, the People can integrate Bitcoin payments. They can do these cool swap things. Uh, there's all sorts of things that can be done when you can have instant and high volume. We're talking many thousands of transactions per second, one day maybe even millions per second. Visa, for example, I believe can do about 40 to 60,000 transactions per second. So we want to go even beyond that. Bitcoin at its base layer can't do that. But Lightning, because it's this layer on top of it, can. And then it uses the security of Bitcoin in order to transact. Yeah, it's interesting. The Bitcoin blockchain, which was so hyped as this big innovation, already we're at a point where a lot of people in this community say, okay, the Bitcoin blockchain isn't very good anymore. It's either moving too slow. I mean, maybe it's all blockchain, though. So. I mean, yeah, the whole point right, of a blockchain is it's a public decentralized ledger, and you have thousands of computers on the, on the network that need to verify all transactions that anybody has ever sent which is extremely inefficient. And that's why Lightning as a layer two can help with that. Well, so what's interesting in this space is you keep hearing people, people in our world, Wall Street types, they say, mm, Bitcoin, I don't like so much. Oh, Cryptocurrency, that's a, that's a dirty word. I don't want to touch that. But oh, blockchain, I'm Love really interested blockchain. in blockchain. Uh, can <laughs> so, you sort of give us your take on that narrative, which I would argue 2016 was maybe the year of blockchain cool, Bitcoin ugly. <laughs> I haven't said this in public before, but when we first uh, pitched my company, Lightning Labs, we actually took the word Bitcoin out of our uh, deck and our marketing material because it was so much about blockchain. Right. Now I feel like we've entered into a Bitcoin, not blockchain world where yes. people understood the value of cryptocurrency technology and what these can bring. I think blockchains are interesting in terms of technology, but you also have proof of work in Bitcoin. You have the public-private key cryptography. There are other things that make Bitcoin special. I think somehow the blockchain part got separated and became a thing, and there are so many other aspects that are important too. Hello and welcome to Noted Bitcoin Podcast, episode 0.12.0. I'm Michael Goldstein, otherwise known as Bitstein, with my co-host Pierre Rochard. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing good. And today we have a very special guest, Alex Bosworth, who is a Lightning developer based out of San Francisco, California. Uh, he's built some pretty incredible uh, Lightning apps, such as HTLCMe and Yalls.org. Um, and we're here to talk about the the current state of Lightning and where he sees things going. How are you doing, Alex? Great, thanks. I'm very happy to be here. Very honored to be invited to the show. So my first question is, um, is Lightning an ICO, an altcoin, or 
Uh, is it an IOU? It's one of those three, right? Yeah, it's all of them. We're doing a big, big token race. No, it's not. It's not any of them. People do ask me about it. It's the thing is like lightning. It's like a new thing, and you know people are trying to put it into different boxes, and it, you know it's just its own thing. And you know the way I like to think about it is like a protocol. So it doesn't even. It's not. It's not like what you're thinking. It's not like a new type of you know coin, or it doesn't have like its own specific value. That's not the point of lightning. That's not the idea. Uh, do you want to do you want to launch into basically the gist of how a payment channel works and how it leverages Bitcoin's underlying network? Because I think that something that people overlook is that lightning isn't possible without a layer one, uh, and it's deeply tied into it. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's a lot of people who are in Bitcoin who have a tenuous understanding of how Bitcoin itself works and much less something like Lightning. Yeah, I'll do my best. So like the payment channel idea, it's pretty old. I mean, people have been thinking that payment channels are a great way to scale for a long time. And yeah, payment channels are definitely like the foundational element of Lightning. Uh, and basically the concept is that every transaction has a sequence number in it. And it has had the sequence number in it from the start of Bitcoin. And the idea is if you have a transaction, you can sign it, but then later you can say, I'm going to replace that transaction with another with another transaction. So that can be used for things like RBF. But another way that to use it is uh, potentially to, uh, you know, the thinking was maybe we can make transactions that before they're confirmed in blocks, let's just like uh, replace it a bunch of times. And the idea about the payment channel is I give you a signed transaction that says this is a transaction that gives you $5. And then you hold on to that transaction and you don't broadcast it to anybody. Nobody knows about this transaction. But you say, um, okay, I'm going to update that state. Now I actually owe you $10. I owe you $15. I owe you $20. Um, and then just the two of us need to keep track of this. So that's like way faster to, than broadcasting it to everybody in the entire world. And it's way cheaper. It's more private. So like that core technology is what's leveraged by lightning like uh and then solving that that has two problems like one problem with the payment channel is because only the two of us know about this transaction well what's to stop you from going out and pretending like it never happened um so that's where you need to change you need to change to say uh Let's resolve. There's a conflict between the two peers about what is the current state of the of the balances of this transaction. And you need the chain to be able to resolve that. And then the other issue is uh, you don't want to just make all these transactions one-to-one -one with everybody in the entire world. That's That doesn't scale. So uh, the Lightning Network adds, uh, fixes the other problem of the payment channel, which is that instead of making it one-to-one, -one, you uh, make a linked payment, a linked transaction that links across different peers to your final destination. We, we see now how basically Lightning is anchored in the uh, Bitcoin blockchain. And then, so the, 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 what you were talking about last, though, is this idea of like routing payments. And this is what I had a, all the hardest time wrapping my head around, which is that the economy kind of flows unidirectionally. You get paid from your employer but you never pay your employer for anything, you know, in, in general, uh, it, you, you pay someone else. And then like by a very circuitous roundabout way, that money comes back to you when, you know, 
seven handshakes later, uh, someone uh, pays your employer and your employer pays you again. Do you think that Lightning, like uh, one of the, if, if Lightning is, continues improving and continues iterating, at some point, you could argue that there won't ever need to be a channel rebalancing and everything will be circular enough that you you won't really need on-chain transactions anymore. Do you, do you buy that? Um, I, I don't really buy it too much. I'd say that Lightning really works better. It has like a sweet spot for Lightning. So like if you're talking about a lot of money, something that you would only do quite rarely, there's no need for you to pay in a payment channel. It's, it's, not, it's, a limit, it's more limited benefit. And there are security hits even with payment channels. So, you, you know, it's it's because it's Bitcoin. Sure, it's Bitcoin, but you also introduce the security problems of the Lightning Network itself. You know, it's going to be strictly worse because it, it can inherits everything with Bitcoin and then it has its own issues. So um, I don't like it in terms of like, if there's large payments, I think large transfers will always be great on the chain. Chains are good for that. Um, and for small channel, for small payments, I also think uh, Lightning becomes less competitive for very, very small payments. Or, you know, because in that case, like you can introduce more trust. Like Lightning is a very secure system, but do you need the most secure censorship resistant system if you're just talking about fractions of a penny, that kind of thing? Like uh, there might be like even more efficient systems than Lightning that exists. Like um, in cases where you know you're not really taking a big risk and it's not and it's not so bad. So Lightning kind of has that sweet spot in the middle. So when you say when you say large payments, uh, can you elaborate on like what what magnitude you're thinking of there? I mean, like if you were going to buy a home and you were going to pay in cash, but you're going to pay in Bitcoin. So a payment channel, like the even the Lightning Network design itself has this uh, idea in mind that they'll you know we're going to limit the amount of capacity in channels. We're going to take it slow um, because like, it's not a, like a pure upgrade for every single possible transaction. So if you're going to do like a house payment or something, like that's going to take a while. You might as well do that on the chain. And you might as well pay whatever transaction fees associated with that. Gotcha. So, so what I'm hearing is that Lightning is sort of best for the kind of things like the, the level of money that I might be carrying around just in my wallet in cash. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on individuals and it will, will be like a market process. So like, I don't know how much risk people are going to willing to take on or what their thresholds are or like what software they're, you know, going to be used, used to using. So that will like change from person to person. Uh, just in general, I think those will be like rules of thumb. And you mentioned that um, Lightning brings with its, it brings with it its own security concerns. Uh, do you want to elaborate on what those are? Because, you know, we often hear about Lightning as either a silver bullet solution or a problem riddled bad solution compared to on-chain scaling. But obviously there's there's pros and cons. And uh, I'm interested in hearing what you see as like the biggest cons. So the biggest risk, I think, just in general, from a design perspective, is that you must have a reliable chain. So you sit on these signed transactions which should be as good as gold. And you should be able to, in, in the normal conditions, you'd be able to broadcast those to the network and the network would confirm them. And that's the job of the network. The, net, the network's job is to be a reliable platform that people, you can settle kind of disputes about like uh, which transaction came first or did you follow the rules? Um, but, you know, 
uh, Lightning Network actually doesn't just apply to Bitcoin. Maybe it applies to it applies to lots of lots of chains, and and you know even the Bitcoin chain at times has seemed unreliable. So in those cases, you take on this risk that even though you have a signed transaction, that uh, maybe like the settlement is not as reliable as you think it will be. So by reliability, do you mean that you know, for example, if there's a big reorg that causes issues there or that the mempool is so backed up that your transaction doesn't get through without an exorbitant fee. Um, what are some of the reliability concerns? Well, so like the chain has, has a basic goal by itself, right? Like the chain is supposed to follow rules. Like if I have this private key, I'm supposed to be able to like send money. And those rules, even though we like think that they are set in stone, it's just based on what other people are running on their machines. So just the consensus rules by themselves, uh, that's something to think about. Like if the consensus rules change, um, you know, that might happen. Um, another thing to think about is like uh, it's still a system that where miners have influence over the system, meaning like uh, they could just one day say, I'm no longer mining any transactions. And they could just say, you know, no more transactions. And that would make the whole system unreliable just top to bottom. Um, or they could, you know, say we're just we're only mining transactions on Mondays or something like that. So uh, the more reliable the chain, the better it is to go off chain. And could miners specifically censor lightning related transactions, for example, that they might even be parties to f to benefit themselves? Is that a scenario? Well, so censoring specific transactions, meaning that they never hit the chain, that requires that you have over half of the hashing power and that you're willing to like show, demonstrate to the world that you are willing to, you know, also override the other half of the hashing power. And I mean, if you're willing to do that, you might as well like just take the 49% of all, all of their, all of their mining rewards, because you're a 51, if you have 50 or 51%, you might as well just take all their money. You don't have to give them anything. And that's allowed within the, within the protocol. So, I mean, like it's predictable behavior. So we know what will happen. It could pop, it could happen, but, and, and life will go on. Right. And maybe people would like have to wait it out and they'd have to say that the system is not reliable for now. Um, so that's another reason why, like I would, like I said before, where, you know, if it's a very large transaction and it's with somebody you don't trust. So in order for them, for the censorship to be meaningful, it has to be that you're doing business with somebody random, right? You have, you, you've locked up a bunch of money with this random person. And then also that they've paid you a lot of money. So they have to have sent you lots of money. And then they have to like, uh, write, you know, write some kind of thing that censors half the network. And then because may, maybe another miner picks up that transaction, includes it in his block. So they have to like uh, overwrite his block and reorg his blocks out. Um, and then so, uh, you know, and we're also thinking about different scales of money. So like, you know, the, the lightning, lightning scales are like, I'm sending you a few hundred bucks, whereas mining scales, what we're talking about, it will be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's predictable, but there is there is these potential design risks. Um, I wouldn't classify those as the biggest risks, but it depends on different chains. If you have a chain that's controlled by one guy, you know, then you might use lightning a little bit less. Right. So th that does indicate that for, for coins that are more centralized, uh, lightning provides less potentially less value uh, to, to those users. It, I think that, you know, when we think about, and that's an important point to make, which is that Lightning is not unique to Bitcoin. 
uh, and it's generalizable to any cryptocurrency from what I understand. Um, I think that in, in Ethereum, they have something called Plasma that they have been researching. What, what, do you know anything about that area? Plasma is not the equivalent thing. So they have like a project called Raiden, which is basically kind of like a, the, the same kind of concept. Plasma is more like a side chain concept. Um, but yeah, and not every chain will be, uh, it won't be possible with every possible chain to work with Lightning. The easiest chains will be ones that are like Bitcoin because you can just take the existing implementations and just change a few values and then you've got it working. Harder ones will be ones where they haven't fixed bugs or they haven't improved Bitcoin. Um, so like Bcash and Dogecoin, things like that. Like Dogecoin doesn't have the time locks, so it'll be like really hard to uh, implement anything. I don't think you could even implement Lightning on Dogecoin without check lock time verify. Uh, and then Bcash didn't implement SegWit and maybe they have their own versions, but having their own versions still makes life hard because you have to go and figure out how their system works. So, and then you go to like totally novel systems like Ethereum or ERC20 tokens. Um, there, you know, there's more ability to do the uh, type of contracts that you need, but you have to do a lot of work to think about all the different problems that have been solved by the Lightning teams. And they've been working on this for years and years. So you have to kind of, it's like a rewrite there. Right. And uh, on that note of they've been working on it for years and years, I think that 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 has caused s some frustration in some corners of the community that uh, they didn't get instant gratification from having a white paper to having a usable software. Um, but I I actually wanted to ask about your your background and like when you got involved and um what what attracted you to Lightning and to Bitcoin? Yeah, so I've been a Bitcoin fan for a long time. Um, I posted about it in my blog like 2012 or something. You know, I was very excited by the prospects of it. But uh, I was living in China at that time, and uh, I didn't really feel like it's the best environment for doing kind of like a Bitcoin type of a project. So I waited until I got back to the U.S. Um, so in 2016, I... Uh, uh, I went to work at this program called the Hacker Residency uh, at Chaincode Labs. Um, so Matt Corallo, Blue Matt, he invited me to uh, stay and uh, hack on Bitcoin Core related stuff uh, at the Chaincode Labs for about a month. And that was a great program. Like they taught me a lot about how like Bitcoin Core is designed and what they're working on. And that's all they do. They're working on Bitcoin Core. They're just, you know, at that time they were like thinking about the deployment of SegWit and they were just... Uh, hacking up different different scenarios of how it's going to work out and test, testing it, making sure that the deployment is going to go perfectly. Um, so after that, I went to work um, at BitGo. So BitGo and Palo Alto, um, they do uh, kind of like the backend APIs for a lot of exchanges. So they did Bitfinex uh, previously. They did Kraken previously. Um, they currently do Bitstamp, Corbit, uh, I think Coin Payments. Um, and then they bought this company called Kingdom Trust, which they used to work with. Um, so I worked there on a project called Royal Mint Gold. And the idea was that we would uh, create a private blockchain that was designed to track gold, the gold assets of the, the UK uh, as held by the Royal Mint. So the Royal Mint came up with this concept that they have this gold in their vaults, you know, billions and billions of dollars of gold. And they wanted to kind of like replicate the idea of Bitcoin 
the idea that you can just like use private keys to represent your ownership and then uh, translate it across a network, a peer-to-peer network. Um, so uh, BitGo selected, that was originally going to be a project that was going to be a Blockstream, BitGo, and AlphaPoint joint project uh, in coordination with the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. But uh, there were issues with the Blockstream side of things. So uh, I worked on the, so the, the, the task of uh, creating the actual private blockchain uh, went to BitGo. And so that's what I worked on at BitGo. It's creating a for, like uh, it's an open source uh, fork of BTCD. Um, so just the same as you have normal Bitcoin transactions, it has these gold transactions. And then um, we change things like uh, the issuance. Obviously, if you're generating, if you're running a miner and generating, you're not generating gold. Like that comes from the vault. Um, so I worked on that for a while. Um, I was there at BitGo for almost a year and a half, and then. Um, at, towards the end of Bitco, I was exploring Lightning uh, and how Lightning could be integrated with the exchanges, and especially like the security implications of having exchanges run Lightning wallets and like how they're going to deploy them. Um, and I was working on a multi-sig for Lightning. So the idea was I was working, I had um, a proof of concept where you can run a Lightning node um, and the keys are split up, um, which is pretty challenging to actually deploy on the real protocol, so that would have required a bunch more work. Um, so I left BitGo uh, at the end of December, and so um, I've been working to try to like find app- more applications of Lightning. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about two different uh, major applications of Lightning. One, uh, one is uh, the application of Lightning to mining, mining, mining pools. Um, so running hash power by the second. Uh, that allows you to trade into different coins even. So you can you can pay for hash power on a different coin. So you're, what you're doing in effect is trading your Bitcoin for the other coin or another coin for Bitcoin um, through the use of the electricity. Another way, uh, so also pool software, I think, can be improved or, or peer-to-peer P2P pool potentially or things like that could be, could be made, uh, which could solve like problems of payouts and... Uh, like trust that's required in the mining pools. And I'm also working on this concept called submarine swaps, which is a way to uh, uh, orchestrate trades between um, different chains and with a focus on high compatibility with a wide variety of chains um, that don't have lightning implementations yet. Could you elaborate on what that might look like? Uh, so the thing that I'm working on, the, the swaps, it's pretty far along. Uh, this weekend, I participated in a hackathon, kind of uh, made a demo of the scripts that I'm making. And the idea is that every Lightning invoice has a component in it. So when you get a Lightning invoice to pay, it has a component in it, which is the hash, the payment hash. And when you pay the Lightning invoice, what's revealed is a payment pre-image, a payment secret. So you don't get that sec- That secret is proof that you paid but it's also reflected in the actual chain scripts. So it's impossible for you to uh, get the secret before you pay. That's what you're paying for, paying for that secret. And the purpose of this is so that you can uh, punish someone who tries to cheat by using a past uh, transaction. No, I mean, under the hood, it works like this. Like, it works using this concept called HTLC. So uh, I'm going to pay you, but I'm going to lock the payment to you to a hash. And then in order for you to take the money, you're going to have to reveal the secret that corresponds to that hash. Then you can take the money. And if you don't, well, then I'm going to take the money back. I'm going to take, and I have a, I have a refund path. So if a time, if a time delay 
occurs, like uh, there's a timeout on these HTLCs and you get your money back. So that's like a, that's a, like a core concept of, of that's how you send uh, money to everybody in Lightning. Even if they're right next to you, you make this little contract, which is represented as a script in the output. So uh, whenever you have a Lightning channel with somebody, you have these different transactions. And the transaction that reflects the balances is called the commitment transaction. And it has two outputs on that transaction. One output is going to you, but you have to wait for a little time. So that's your local balance. That's how much money you have. And another output is to the remote side of the channel. That's the two remote side. That says how much that other person has. And actually, they can if you ever broadcast this, they can, they can take all the money right away, um, your version of the transaction. And they have a, they have a mirror version of, of, the same, of the same thing. And then that's when the channel is at rest. So that reflects the, the like established settled balance. And then when you want to send to somebody, when you want to send a payment to somebody, you add a new output. So you reduce the two local output and you say that has less value now. And you add a new output onto your commitment transaction and you say that's this is an HTLC out, output. And the HTLC output, it's a little bit complicated, but basically it says, I'm going to give you some money as long as I know the secret. And then the way that uh, the way that the Lightning Network achieves routing is maybe you don't know the secret, but you know you know that someone ahead of you knows the secret. And because all the secrets are the same secret, one guy uh, claiming the money and revealing the secret triggers a chain reaction all all along the network, along the entire path. And they say, "Oh, you you you're claiming the money using that secret. Well, that secret unlocks money that's sent to me." And then you claiming it reveals the guy who's uh, you know his peer, and all along the way to to the origin of the guy who's sending the money. Um, so. Uh, so because we have this, this principle of the secret and the hash, um, what I do with the submarine swaps is the same idea, the same exact idea, but in a non-channel context. So uh, let's say I'm on, a, I'm on a chain where, you know, we don't have a lightning implementation. What I do is I ask you for your public key. And then I say, here's an invoice that I want you to pay. Please pay this for me. And I, you can see that in this invoice, there's a hash. And you know that when you pay this invoice, the hash is going to reveal a secret. So then you say, okay, that sounds reasonable, but uh, you know, I'm not just going to pay lightning invoices for you. I got to get paid myself. So you, so you say, okay, I'm going to send the money on the chain, just a normal transaction to a normal address. And I'm going to send that money on the chain. And the destination of the funds is going to be your public key plus the hash of that lightning invoice. And so you're going to need to pay that lightning invoice. And that will reveal a pre-image to you. And then you'll be able to take that money for yourself. And so now I've paid you on the chain and you've paid the invoice that I gave you. And then there's another path. What happens if you don't do it? Or there's some kind of problem? If there's some kind of problem, after a timeout, uh, I can... Uh, create a new transaction that says, okay, uh, the deal didn't go through. I'm going to get my money back to my own, my own key. Fascinating. So this, this would allow like even more decentralized exchanges of, uh, between altcoins and Bitcoin. It's kind of like a bridging technology. So, you know, there's like Lightning Network is going to take a while to realize the entire dream. Um, the dream is you pay anyone, you can choose all, all your routes, you can Everybody's got sufficient capacity and the network is perfect. But in order to get there, like today, 
we don't have a situation where every, like even just as a like for the users, not every user has a Lightning wallet. They might have a Bitcoin wallet, but that wouldn't actually matter because all you have to do is find somebody who's willing to pay invoices for you, and you can send him money using your normal Bitcoin wallet or even your normal anything wallet. And as long as it can pay into uh, this type of a contract, a very basic HTLC contract, which even Bcash supports, then you can uh, pay any Lightning invoice and you just have to pay a fee to whoever's providing that, that service. And then this can be even a competitive, a competitive thing where anybody can say, I'm, I'm, I'll pay invoices, you know, send me money. Uh, I'm happy to pay invoices. Uh, so have you, are you, do you have on the roadmap, I mean, it's obviously early days, but the ability to broadcast that intent and to have like a system, a, a protocol around that? No, no. Um, I don't have it. I mean, I'm really still working on the script part of it. So just a proof of concept that everything is, you know, nice and secure. And also this is, you know, this is something that I expect like the, uh, you know, part of it will be folded into the Lightning protocol itself. So another situation where it can be a problem that, that or another problem you might run into where you need a submarine swap is even just between one chain and another chain. Because currently in the current implementations of Lightning, when you start up a channel, you'll see that all the capacity is on your side. So that means you can pay people, but they can't pay you. And maybe you want to be able to get paid by people. So what you really want to have happen is you want to pay an invoice so that the, the money in the channel moves over to the other side. But you don't want to just pay invoices and not get your money back. You want somebody to send you the money back, but on the same chain or maybe on a different chain. So this is a way that you can achieve that uh, without trusting that other person. So basically someone else would be like helping you set up a chain where you're kind of given them all, you, you've put all the money on the other side of the the balance so that you can just actually be receiving money. Sure, if you want to set it up and you say like, I want, you know, I'm going to pay this this big invoice, but I want to make sure that I get paid back. So lock the lock the chain the funds on the chain, and then uh, as soon as I see them locked, I'll pay that invoice, get the secret, and then claim the money on the chain back to my own wallet. That's really cool. Awesome. So, uh, well, this is going to help bootstrap as the Lightning Network, as you were saying, in terms of helping with the liquidity situation and making sure that there's like enough capacity for payments to be getting routed well um, from the get-go. And how how mature would, would you describe this? Like everything in Lightning, I understand, is in beta mode and uh, or in alpha mode. But um, yeah. Yeah, on the weekend at this hackathon, I was able to take this concept and turn it into like a working demo. But uh, there's still kind of a lot of things to think about, about like how to be a provider um, so, and also the, the, the other things to, that I need to still work on are support for other chains. I can only support, uh, Bitcoin transactions right now. I do have, uh, every version of the signing finished. So that means like it can be, you can send to a standard P2SH. That's something I completed on the weekend. Um, you can send to a, a nested SegWit P2SH, or you can send to a native SegWit P2SH. So that should allow pretty good coverage in terms of like minimizing fees if it's possible to send to a SegWit address. And then the user experience can be very, very simple. So if you hit this swap provider, all they're going to ask you to do is send to an address. If you want it to be very trustless, you know, 
you're, you can have wallet integrations where it does all the checking of the con- of the smart contract and it makes sure that the you know the key that you're using for your refund key is a secure key. Um, so that's things that I'm still working on, but uh, just about the user experience side of that. But from the user perspective, I have a, a script. I have two different models for how the submarine script swaps can work. So in one model that I have that I think is pretty close that I, I can even deploy right now is you generate a normal address in your normal Bitcoin wallet. So that's, and, and that's all you need to perform this swap. You don't need any custom software. You generate a normal address, you plug it in, you plug in the invoice that you want to pay, and then ideally the other side handles all the work. They, they uh, are like, great, I got those funds sent to that, that, that script. And uh, now I'm going to go pay the invoice and execute my side of the contract. Or in the case that you uh, have to do the refund, then that's why you need that refund address. And the refund address can't just send to itself. So what, what, what you need to do is um, either the provider needs to have provided you with like a refund wallet key, and then you need to go and create like a special transaction to get your refund. Or uh, you can download like a you know, specialized tool, or you can go to a website that will make the signed transaction that takes some money back to yourself. Um, although really at that point, um, especially if you've made the invoice yourself, at that point, the money is still yours. It's just you have to be able to spend it uh, in, a, in a kind of a custom transaction that wouldn't be normal. But in the ideal case, all the person has to do, even if they don't have a wallet that supports anything, all they have to do is send to an address and then lightning invoices get paid. How did you come up with this? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I've been working like with Lightning for a year now, I guess, and uh, this is just something that I've like, you know, I've just I wanted to get into Lightning early so that I could kind of hit all the problems, you know, to see what's going to be like a pain point. And one pain point definitely is I want to move, I want to trade some, you know, I want the capacity in my channel to be different. So that's one thing that I think is a really great use case is just uh, letting people manage the, the capacity. Uh, another another pain point is like I don't have a Lightning wallet, so I can't try your service. I'm sorry. Um, so letting people, you know, anybody could then buy these Lightning stickers on the Blockstream store. You can do it from any wallet. You can even withdraw from an exchange for free, and that's fine. You can withdraw for free from like from Gemini to this smart contract, and then that that makes the invoice pay, and that's fine. You don't even need to control the key that was that's sending. The other thing that I think is really interesting is just, you know, commerce, there's not that many stores for Bitcoin. I mean, that's not the growth story of the whole space. I mean, as much as I would like it to be, I would love to go into a store and just pay with Bitcoin and that everything would be taken care of. That still takes time. And that's not where the growth is. And that's not where the user activity is and the excitement is. The excitement really is in like swapping coins. So that's another reason why I'm working on uh, just this use case of Lightning, which is you know, I've got some fork coins, I've got some sidechain coins, or I've got some altcoins, and whatever they are, I can trade them for Lightning capacity. Right. And yeah, so you mentioned you've been interested in Lightning for a year, and uh, what was your like software development background before that? Um, did you do a computer science program, or uh, have you learned everything on your own? No, I never. I never did a computer science program. So I've been mostly doing like indie app development. I worked as a, uh, I was doing iOS development for a couple of years. So like working with Swift. And then before that, I was working on kind of like a sync protocol for uh, like mobile and desktop, some ways to sync data across 
So that's kind of going back a long time, but that's what I worked on. That's what I worked on before. And I, I had my own company. I was kind of like doing indie development. Gotcha. And uh, the submarine swaps, like what programming language are you using to do this in? Um, so the, the swap itself is Bitcoin script. And then the things that I'm using to create the script. So I'm trying to make this actually be as easy to deploy as possible and make it so that anybody can just set up a server and you've like, even on a cheap web host or whatever, and you've got a swap server running and you're providing liquidity and making money, you're, you're, you're providing swaps. Um, so uh, the initial version is in JavaScript. So it should be actually deployable. It's in Node.js. You can run it in like, you know, Reactor, that kind of an app. I'm also, so I also have a Swift, uh, Swift wallet. And so that's another thing I've been thinking about of building uh, this into uh, my Swift wallet, my Swift Lightning wallet. Um, but uh, JavaScript is what I have made the most progress on. And that's what I think I would launch with is just like, here's the scripts and, you know, let's get, let's get comfortable with them and think about all the different things that we need to be swap providers. Yeah, that makes sense. And if there's a uh, JavaScript or Swift developer or even really any other language out there, like what would you like describe like the learning path from they might know like basic Bitcoin stuff, but to 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 where you got? Well, I mean, I would definitely recommend other people apply to the Chaincode residency program because that was hugely helpful. Um, I mean, they discussed like they it was basically a course that's taught by the core developers. Alex Morpos, uh, Matt Corallo, like they literally get up on the whiteboard and just tell us about everything, about all the reasoning behind things. There's all sorts of, you know, little quirks and things that have happened along the years. So they gave a great foundation for me. So, and, and, and they, they paid for everything. So like that was a hugely helpful program and like I'm indebted to that. The other thing I think is like uh, building my own like fork of BTCD, um, like working on that chain code uh, really kind of helped me figure out like, What's the peer-to-peer -peer protocol? And how do I work on, on like the actual transactions at the byte level? Um, how do I create the signature hashes? But I think it's all pretty like David Hart, like you were saying, David Hart, like he like made like great resources on Bitcoin.org. I think BTCD is very helpful. If you go in into that code base, there's a lot of comments in there about how everything works. It's very well documented. And it's uh, so I'm familiar with Go, so it's easy for me to like hack on that code. Like I was running into a problem with a swap where just my signature wasn't matching the right signature. And I was like, why is the signature not matching? So being able to work with BTCD means that I could just go and write into right in there into the into where it's figuring out what signature should look like and just look at what it's expecting and then look at what I'm work, what I'm making and see how they're different. So I but I but I think like the best thing is just to start building stuff and then you'll learn as you go. One of the things you've uh, you've been building was uh, yalls.org. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so uh, I have like a Swift desktop wallet um, that I was working on for LND. So that was like my one of my original projects. Is I wanted I want you know I saw that the Lightning Labs guys are making this cool daemon, and I wanted to make like a desktop app. Um, but one problem I I ran into is is that my desktop app had no stores. I don't have anything to buy. So it made it very difficult to develop my app because I, I couldn't try it. So uh, I was tossing around some ideas and I was like, oh, um, I can build, what can I build in a weekend? So I was like, I can make, I can make just like a paywall, a paywall micro blogging or, you know, little blogging, blogging site in a weekend. Um, and then, you know, I reached out to other develop, Lightning developers and it seems like also they had similar problems to working on their wallets. It's like, let's just try these things. We, you know, we have nothing really to try it against. Um, 
So that was the idea behind Yelts. Just to let's let's let's. It was a good way to give you some external invoices to pay. Right, right. Let's think about like a realistic store scenario. Yeah. Um, Yalls was, uh, I, I think it was you that had tweeted something about this, uh, w- with Yalls being, um, sort of a playground for, for new ideas. So the hash you were talking about and, and how you reveal the pre-image as proof of payment, that seems to be useful for a lot of kind of novel, uh, use cases. And one of the ones that I saw, like I said, I think it was you that tweeted it was, um, the guy who made, uh, GPGJS um, had made a way on y'alls to encrypt the data, and then when you pay it, you're basically revealing the key to decrypt it. Um, no, so so I, I used like the library open openpgp.js, so that, that I included that in my JavaScript, and but that is accurate. So uh, what happens when you go to a y'alls page is that you see part of the of the article. And that part of the article is in the clear text. And the, I use the OpenPGP library. Uh, you don't really notice this, but it's creating a, a key pair for you. So you have a public and private key actually just by visiting the web page. And then what I do is I encrypt the rest of the article uh, to your public key. And I say, I'm encrypting the article to your public key. And then I also, um, so I encrypt the article to your public key. And then I, I also say, like when you generate that invoice, I say, uh, I'm going to uh, further encrypt uh, the rest of the article content with the pre-image, that secret. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a secret as an encryption key on the rest of the article. So then when you've paid the, for the article, you've, what, you've got, what you've got as your payment proof, that pre-image, that payment secret, you can use that as the key. That's now the key to decrypt uh, this OpenPGPJS encrypted thing that's encrypted to your public key. So also other people can't, can't see it. So only you can get this, can do the double unwrapping using the payment free image and uh, using your private key to decrypt the article. And that means also it can be a lot faster. So when you got the invoice, you've already got the, all the data. You have it all on your local machine. So the only thing that you really need is just that 32 byte uh, key to unlock it. So that's what you're paying for with the API. You're just paying for the encryption key. Um, and then OpenPGPJS, uh, I noticed that the developer of that, he has recently joined Lightning Labs, and he's working on their uh, desktop app and mobile app. Okay, that's what brought the story together. That's really cool. So are, are there other interesting, like, what are some other interesting things you can do with uh, this fact that the uh, pre-image is the proof of payment? Yeah. So one idea I was thinking about last night I mean, uh, uh, other people pointed to me that other, that other people have kind of had this idea, which is, let's say you had an enormous data set, like you had, um, you know, uh, exabyte worth of data. And let's say this, this huge, enormous data set, we could all agree on a Merkle root of the data that is split up into many small chunks. So as long as we'd agree on that one root, 32 byte root, and we all said, oh, this is the right, this is the right hash for that data set. Uh, then I could go to any random person who had this data set and I could say, you know, I want to buy a piece of this data set. And they could say, uh, fine, uh, here's an invoice, and the invoice has a hash, and then this hash, I'm going to prove to you that this is a hash actually 
that maps up to that Merkle root. Just like you when you when you verify a transaction using simplified payment uh, verification in Bitcoin, you map that 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 and you map the transactions hash back up to the Merkle root of the block. But you could do that for you know an arbitrary size set of data. Um, and so you could say, okay, good. Looks like that hash is part of that big data set because I know the Merkle root and I, I can see this little proof. So then you pay, pay that invoice, and he gives you back the secret. The secret is, is, is now you have one piece of the puzzle. You have one piece of that big data set. So then you can pay him again, and you can pay him again, or you can pay millions of people. And you can pay all these people very quickly and for very little fees, and you can get a big chunk of that data set that you, that you care about. And you can do so in a way where... These can be just random people. They can be, you know, Tor nodes, or they can be just any anything. And you don't have to trust that those guys that you're paying for that data are going to give you uh, wrong data. So this is effective. I mean, for those who don't know, uh, BitTorrent almost operates like this, but without the money. So this is basically what you're describing is sort of a way to do BitTorrent, but now with Lightning payments to help kind of fetch these yeah incentivize people to to give you those bits of data as you're as you're trying to build everything that makes that ultimate hash you know about well the, the chunking is similar um and BitTorrent does have like an incentive model so it says you know if you're uploading more i'll help you out more um uh, BitTorrent uses more like a tit for tat system where it's like uh, you help me a little bit and i'll help you a little bit and hopefully like uh the, if you if you're a bad guy well the, the damage will be limited in this case, there isn't even really a, a chance for that to go wrong. Because now you have the the ultimate, you know, form of reciprocal altruism known as money. Yeah. Well, also, you don't have to, you're not relying on tit for tat. You know that the when you pay that pre-image, that you get that, pre, you, when you pay that invoice, you get the pre-image. And you know that the pre-image is part of the data set. Yeah, that's, uh, that's truly cool. Would, well, would the invoice be like a sub-Satoshi amount so that it all, that exabyte adds up to a, uh, you know, not a trillion dollars. We're not central planners here, Pierre. The thing, the interesting thing is you don't have to download the entire exabyte. You just have to agree that the exabyte's hat Merkle root is consistent. Gotcha. I'm just, I, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, how, how else, you know, once, once you've built that, you know, what, what could that, you know, go on to, to be a sort of infrastructural layer of, you know, something even bigger. Um, this is, it's a very exciting idea. Yeah, I mean, I think that's already, like, I couldn't really, I was just thinking about it. I was like, why wouldn't this work? Oh, it, it seems like it would work. Like, that already was like, oh, my God. And it can be arbitrary size. And the proofs are small. The proofs are just like with SPV mode. You know, the proofs are very bounded in their size. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I mean, so Alex and uh, Lualu from Lightning Labs, like, commented on my tweet. So I just, like, was thinking about this. And they said, you know, you, you can even go farther. And they've, you know, there's already kind of people, other people have been thinking about that. So that kind of confirms that it's not crazy, that there's not something, you know, confirms a bit to me that it's not just a crazy idea I was thinking about. And they were saying, you know, with MAST and other improvements, um, you can even take that farther. You can do like arbitrary queries. And, uh, you know, I was also thinking about like one issue that's also a feature of this idea. So one issue with Lightning is that if you pay an invoice, you can't pay that invoice another time. That's not secure. You don't want to do that because the people in your route, they already know that secret. So they could just pretend that they forwarded it, but they didn't. So in the case of Lightning, normally that's, and even in, the, in this case, maybe it's an anti-feature because you want to get paid for that data. Like you generated the invoice, so you want to get the payment. But if you think about it from another way, 
you could say you can act as a cache and every node can act as a cache. All you have to do is remember all the pre-images. And if everybody else is doing this, you can just short circuit the people. And then the guy who's buying the data, if he hits a cache node who's remembered that part of the exabyte data, well, he just pays that guy and it doesn't go any further. And okay, the, the final guy doesn't get paid, but you get your data a lot quicker. You get it right on the first hop. So, you know, actually, not only are you trustlessly paying, but you're trustlessly paying in a way where if a lot of people are requesting the same things, that every node starts to like have a great incentive to remember all this data and then just start sending it back. You know, you could set up, you know, proxy. This is like a like like how the internet works. Like, you know, where you have caching uh, directives and uh, different pieces of content gets get mirrored across the world. And I think that's what Lualo has like look, worked on is more like you can apply this to like streaming video and things like that. Right, exactly. I know he had been kind of toying around with a sort of lightning-based uh, Netflix. And with you saying that with the, um, you know, w- when I had heard that idea, it was more of, you know, like with Netflix today, we kind of download from Netflix directly. Uh, but what you're describing is something, you know, much more peer-to-peer. Um, and that kind of ties in. I- I've seen there's streaming sites, not, not that, you know, YouTube people have decided that they, they don't like uh, YouTube's particular practices, they've, they've moved to other platforms and some of them use um, WebTorrent um, to, to share the video data. So you're actually downloading the, the, the file from many peers. Um, and now, you know, with you know, people caching and people, pe- people paying with cash uh, for the bits, uh, you could supercharge those kinds of platforms, um, which, would, which would help for, you know, the free flow of information and, you know, less censorship both on-chain and just data in the real world in general. Yeah, and I like that it doesn't, this whole concept doesn't even require any new software. It will work with every possible node. The, you know, if, if the person is caching, then that's great. If the person's not caching, then it just goes to the next top and checks if they're caching. So I guess uh, given, given you only uh, started thinking about this last night, um, you know, any, any plans to be working on a proof of concept of this or... Not really. I think there's just so much stuff to do. And yeah, submarine swaps already are something that I'm working on a lot. Um, although just in general, like I want to make more tools so that and try to recruit other people to like get interested in this and make stuff on top of it. And then we can collaborate on different tools and they're all kind of interrelated. And even the, even like starting EALS, like the other idea in terms of starting EALS and as helping me as a desktop developer on like making a wallet was also thinking about what the service provider needs. So if as an operator of the store, what are my concerns about running like a live lightning wallet? And what are some of the conclusions you've come to from that? Definitely submarine swaps, um, just like handling capacity and trading capacity um, and, you know, figuring out how, like just to make tools to, to help balance that and make that work. So other things that I've been thinking about um, for, you know, it's like, like, how do I deliver API results? And that's what we're, I was talking about like earlier, which is um, I really like the idea of delivering API results, um, like pre-delivering them. So I've tried to switch over all my APIs to do this way. So like you can think about pay per call. And, you know, when I, I worked on pay per call, like maybe a year ago, and the idea that I originally had was like, let's sell blockchain data and you pay and then it gives you like a ticket and you exchange that ticket for like, you say, look, I paid. And then you make a request with the, pay- with the payment invoice and say, look, I paid. Uh, and that's actually how I started developing my services. I'm like, okay, 
Um, first request for an invoice, then pay the invoice, then return the result, then say, look, I've got the proof that I paid this and send it to the server. But now I've, I've said that that's too many steps. I don't need a, all that many steps. All I need to do is when I make the invoice, as part of the invoice that's returned, is the actual result. That's the result. That's the data I wanted. It's just encrypted. It's encrypted to my key. And all I have to do is just pay. And then there could be no possible faster way to get the, uh, the actual information because I paid. That means that the pre-image lives on my desktop. And the pre-image that lives on my desktop is a key that unlocks the thing that I want to look at. So that would make for a pretty uh, fast point of sale experience, even like in the real world. Yeah, yeah. It should be, I mean, like that's something that is, I think is still developing. It's like timeouts and things about like, you know, as a network grows, you know, it's, it's not always going to be instant. But in the ideal case, like where you are connected, I mean, all your your boundary is the speed of light between you and who you're paying. That's That's the ideal case. And I mean, the speed of light between you and something is like, you know, you don't even have to think about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that, like, there are too many things to be working on. And I, I share that sentiment. Like, that's one of the frustrations of uh, being in Bitcoin is to, like, there's too many different um, projects and even within projects, uh, ideas or parts of the project to elaborate on. And one of the really surprising things about that I've just been learning about is that like you have projects that are raising hundreds of millions of dollars um, and have basically no substance to them. Uh, and then you have other projects like lightning labs, for example, they, they raised $2.5 million and like they, they're one of the most exciting developments uh, in the world of crypto, you know, quote unquote, um, it seems like a massive disparity to me. I mean, I understand the underlying economics of it, which is that Lightning Labs is not issuing a token and thus there's less upside or there's less liquidity or there's uh, less, you know, mass appeal to unsophisticated investors. Um, but it is like kind of an eye-opening thing to see. I don't know what, what, what your views are on uh, the, the funding of projects and like people's priorities. Yeah. I mean, so people funding projects, what they really want is they want a return on investment. So, and the, so the people who are raising money are using a lot of the same words and a lot of the same language as the people who are not raising as much money, but doing really interesting things. And the difference is one group is saying, you're going to get a great return on your investment. And maybe it doesn't even matter what their substance is because their type of buyers are maybe unsophisticated and they just say, I want it to sound great so that I can flip it to the next set of investors who want us to flip it to the next set of investors. Um, that's one type of investment that I think obviously is just wrong. There's another type of investment, which is that if you think about like making decentralized networks and making really open source software, you have to like make a leap of faith that you're building a platform that other people are going to build on. And, you know, you're putting this out there for everybody to use. You're not building like the next iPhone store where you can just take a third of every sale. Uh, so the path to revenue is not as clear. Um, and that's, I think, what causes there to be this disparity, which is that we're trying to revolutionize things and we're trying to disrupt existing like uh, rent seekers, middle middlemen guys. And, you know, there's there's not a lot of money in revolutions like, you know, this 
you you have to you have to either just create your you have to replace the existing people with yourself, and then you just take their money or take some subset of their money. Um, but if you get rid of the, the counterparties altogether, then really you have to think about how do I make money in this open source world, and that's kind of that's its own challenge, um, and it's not as clear cut in terms of like selling it to investors and saying, you know, we're gonna look at these guys; they're already charging this much in, amount in rent. And, you know, we're going to be the next Apple and we're going to charge 30% of all the apps that, that, that make all their money. So, I mean, I think it makes sense. It's just, it is kind of like, it feels unfa- a little bit unfair. And the other thing I'd say is that the people who are, I think Lightning Labs could raise more money very easily because people in this space, um, you know, realize that this is an important project. And the thing that, I'm, that I think is that uh, Lightning Labs has focused on very high quality development. And... You can't just throw more money in developers at that. Um, that's just a process that takes time and it takes like great people. And I think that they made the good choices, which is you know not trying to just raise a bunch of money and grow big, grow fast, like break things. They're trying to do things in a in a good way, which are which is just like uh, get the right team of people together and just put them all in the same room and just let them uh, complete this complicated project. It just it always goes back to the turtle and the hare, right? And uh, slow and steady wins the race. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, but it will definitely take a lot of contributions from everybody, right? Like this is like a, you know, they're working on one aspect of the Lightning Network. And, you know, even everybody who's working on other implementations, they're also contributing in their their own ways. And then people working on desktop UIs, people working on stores, people working on store integrations. Like this is a big, a big project that encompasses lots of uh, participants. Yeah, and I I like that the ecosystem is flourishing, even though it's not really it's not in production. Like it's not it's uh, it, it is still in a very early state um, in terms of like it's right now it's for developers and power users who are interested in experimenting, uh, and yet we're seeing a lot of interest from uh, you know different developers. And the reason I like that is because one of the I think the most serious criticism of Lightning is that it is so different from Bitcoin that you have to create new infrastructure for it. Um, and uh, as you were saying, like, you know, there's opportunities to avoid that. Um, and But at least, you know, on paper, it's like, okay, well, you can't just take whatever Bitcoin software you had. And like, you know, with, with an altcoin, you can just change a few parameters here and there and you change the uh, logo on the app. Or just, just turn it to the side a little bit. Yeah, tilt it, <laughs> change the color. Uh, so yeah, that, that is like a serious issue with Lightning is that it's a new paradigm. Yeah, it's, new, it's a new system um, for sure. I mean, it's using this, I mean, part of the problem even is that it's using a lot of the nuts and bolts of Bitcoin. So like, I mean, I, I as an app developer making a, a Lightning wallet, so I actually have made two Lightning wallets. I made a custodial wallet, which is htlc.me, and I made a desktop wallet, uh, which is, you know, not released really, called LND GUI. And actually, LND GUI is what I normally use. That's my normal desktop wallet, um, even though I don't haven't released it. So, you know, thinking about it from those perspectives, uh, I actually have like, I sympathize with the idea that you have all the problems of creating a Bitcoin wallet, and now you have a set of new problems, which are to create a Lightning wallet. And if we add even more coins into the mix, now you have to think about all those different coins. And these are not even like, you know, targets that are sitting still. Lightning is changing all the time. Bitcoin is changing all the time. Certainly all those other coins are changing all the time. I mean, 
that's something you know you know you need to as an app developer that's a scary prospect so uh that's another thing that i've thought where submarine swaps can help so you know one thing you could do and that i intend to do actually on hlc.me is i'm never going to allow users to interact with normal chain calls so they're going to be able to send with lightning and receive with lightning and that's it i'm not going to support chain deposits and chain and chain withdrawals and then the way that I want to deal with that is I want to say, here's a third-party service that anybody can run. And if you want to pay, pay the Lightning invoice, then I'm just going to, I'm going to direct you over to those guys. And those guys will take your Bitcoins and they'll pay me in Lightning. And now I have really simplified my life. And it's also way easier to test and develop with Lightning because it's so fast. And, you know, it doesn't take any, like, it doesn't take any time, like money even. Like you can test it, you can just try a payment for real and you're not like paying $10 or whatever in the worst case in terms of chain fees. Uh, that can just happen right away with whatever money you've got in the channel and you can send it back and forth. Um, so it's easy to deal with. Lightning has like also learned a lot of the lessons. So it's kind of like they're like from the start, they're fixing a lot of things that we just have as legacy in Bitcoin over the, you know, the past nine years. So like um, you don't have this problem of like the amount and the, and the address are separate things you have to copy. And that, that makes it like confusing, like, oh, I have to like put in the right amount. Um, the amount, you know, what if I miss a zero or put in an extra zero? You don't have to worry about that. Um, the, the invoices are signed by the, the person you're paying. So you can see, oh, this person and, and that's that signature and that public key that the person you're paying, that stays the same. So you know that the guy you're paying now is, this, is the guy that you paid before. And your wallet can even remember that and say, oh, it's a new person you're paying. It's weird. So um, I think we have actually a good opportunity in a lot of use cases to say that this is a, like a chain wallet and that's kind of all it does. It's like this is your, like your bank, your cold storage. You, um, and it doesn't know how to do a lot of stuff, but that's where you can put you know, your money if you don't really need to spend it all the time. And then we can have another type of wallet like htlc.me, which is like, this is like a lightning only wallet and this is what you can use for spending. And it's easy for us to like make changes and improve upon it and even send to different destinations and different chains um, because we only work and we, and, and we only even have to ever think about Bitcoin, uh, and L and D because we can, you know, eventually maybe more chains are going to be supporting lightning, but that even won't matter because I'll be able to send to them and then they'll be able to send to me. And so as my life as an app developer goes from, I need to support all these different chains and I need to support lightning and I need to support Bitcoin and I need to support different chain lightning. And that, and my life as an app developer collapses into one thing, which is like, I can support lightning for the user. And then I also have to like run a chain for the lightning, but I only have to run one chain. That's really interesting. Um, I don't, actually, I had one last question. Bitstein, do you have another question? No, no, I'm, I've, there's a lot to parse <laughs> from what we've got it already. Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to this episode like two or three times. Um, and Okay, my question is kind of twofold. Earlier, you mentioned that at, at Bitco, you were thinking or working on multi-sig Lightning uh, wallet. Um, and But really, my other part of the question was like hardware wallets, which might be related. Um, and what, are there complications there? Like in my mind, it's just like a private key is a private key. So it's just going to get secured the same way. But are there like UX or even technical issues relating to that? Um, so those are like kind of two questions. Like multi-sig has its own set of problems. You know, Lightning isn't just private keys, actually, because those secrets are important. 
Um, and it, Lightning uses in, like private keys in unusual ways, like uh, the revocation key, which is a special private key in case somebody does something bad. That's actually a key where you only have uh, half of the key. So you the key is securely split across you and your peer. And then in order to move across to a new channel state, you reveal your half of the private key to them. But, you know, if you're thinking about multisig, now that makes life complicated. Like, oh, I'm, how am I going to hand over my half? Well, my half is maybe two of three or that kind of, and he's and his half is two of three. Like, that's a complicated thing to think about. Um, another thing to think about is the fact that, you know, you got to have these people be online. So um, you, it needs to be interactive, about, like more interactive. Um, as far as hardware wallets go, um, I would say that hardware wallets should be good targets for, for lightning, for lightning wallets. And, uh, I think that it should be very straightforward to, uh, have hardware lightning wallets. Um, and the only problem would be that, uh, you know, there's more complications than what you're really signing. So, you know, in a Bitcoin transaction, what you're signing is very, especially in the current state of Bitcoin transactions, where we send to one public key, you know, or maybe we send to a script, but we don't do that as often. Um, well, you can like really just have a very low key, simple interface for that, where it can use an old data display on, a, you know, on your little hardware device and you can see what's going on very clearly. Uh, since lightning involves a few more steps and you're, you're, you know, you're using smart contracts and the smart contracts are evaluating different ways. Like, you know, uh, like the submarine swaps example. Um, so I need to make sure that I'm sending the right destination. I need to make sure that that key is under my control. And that's a hard problem, even on the, even with the current set of hardware wallets. Like when you generate an address in your ledger wallet, well, you're generating it on your desktop maybe. And you think, oh, it's a, it's a address that came from the ledger, but maybe it didn't come from the ledger. You actually have to go to the ledger and say, oh, is that really, you know, the right key? And then if you want to be like paranoid, you maybe want to make sure that the ledger is not giving you a weird key. So you've exported the public key when you made the original private key and loaded that private key that you made separately on a firewall device. You, 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 you imported that into the ledger and then you had somewhere else the, public, the master public key. And you check the master public key against uh, the, you know, the address that's created on the ledger. So it's already like a complicated process. Um, so that's like this, the weakness of the uh, of like the hardware wallet is like it has to if you want to like feel that same security, um, is there's just more steps. Um, but that's also the strength of the hardware wallet, which is like um, it can kind of like be a as long as you are happy with the firmware, you're happy that the wallet is you know self-contained that it, you know you're you're plugging it into your computer and that it's designed to do its job. Then I think it's it would be great to have hardware wallets. And even multi-sig wallets, I think. Um, so uh, I developed a complete set of like Bitcoin scripts that can do multi-sig, two of, two of three multi-sig. And Lualu from Lightning Labs helped with that process. Um, and, you know, it is possible in the future. And I had working scripts. And, you know, I didn't get this vetted by anybody, but like I had different flows about how you can do this sharing. And I feel like it would work, but... Um, that's something that's like a future project that, um, is, is going to be a big challenge. The, the multi-sig, multi-sig, uh, lightning channels. Awesome. Uh, do you have any, uh, closing thoughts, things that you, you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say earlier? 
So, you know, uh, I want to like people to like, keep in mind that it's like really still about Bitcoin and like that, the, that this is like, what we're doing is also, you know, thinking about like, why are we even here? Like, I think that's pretty, um, that can kind of get lost even in the technology. And that's what I also see as the biggest challenge, not even scaling. It's not technology at all. It's just like uh, getting people to realize that they should be in control of their own money, that um, this should be like a decentralized system, permissionless system, that uh, that's, a, that's the goal here. Amen to that. Where are the best places for people to uh, keep up with all of the crazy lightning development you're working on? I try to keep my Twitter updated. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm hopeful that other people can, you know, I've been working with other people in terms of like trying to help them make open source versions of their ideas um, and try to like combine efforts. Um, I definitely check out like the Zap, you know, Zap has a Slack, uh, Lightning Lab Slack. I'm there a lot of the time. Um, so like if you have, yeah, Twitter, Alex Bosworth, uh, and then Lightning Labs, they have a Slack and Yalls has its own Slack. You can find that in the about link. Yeah. And, and um, I'm going to try to publish some more code to GitHub as far as like the submarine swaps go so that everybody can start doing the swaps. Excellent. Uh, and actually, I, I did uh, want to ask, uh, you mentioned the LND GUI you haven't released yet, but I, I see that it's on your GitHub here. Uh, and I, yeah, yeah, you can download it and run it. it it's all there. Okay, I'm not going to lose money on this, am I? Well, I wouldn't recommend people on it. <laughs> Be reckless. I use it myself, so yeah. I mean, I, I that's my wallet, but um, it's kind of like you got to. It's like only a mother could love it, right? Uh, and but if if someone knows. If someone knows um, Swift, would you would would you be uh, are you accepting PRs on that? Like, are are you interested in getting more sure. people involved? Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love and definitely like Go and Swift are definitely the next things that I'm thinking about as far as submarine swaps go, and as far as like lightning uh, lightning code goes. Awesome, and I, I hope that that just continues to grow the developer ecosystem because I I think we've got you know we got our C plus plus developers hacking on Bitcoin Core. Uh, we've got plenty of Go developers, whether it's BTCD or on LND. Um, and then Eclair is Java, right? I think it's Scala. Uh, yeah, Java, Scala. Scala. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there was a third one, right? Yeah, there's a, like Blockstream, C Lightning. And that's right. C. C. Well, there's also um, MIT. Uh, so Taj has like kind of his own implementation that's just not really ready yet called uh, Lit. And then there's also Matt Corallo has been working on more of a library that can be incorporated for Lightning-like functions. Um, that's in Rust. And then the Electrum guys, I think, have been looking into it with Python. I have seen that. And there's a Japanese group that's working on a C++ implementation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even blockchain.info like, made some initial attempts and even Bitcoin. Um, but Lightning is, you know, I would be, uh, it wouldn't be too, uh, like, it might take a while for them to finish that. I mean, even LND, those guys are really good. And it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff to work on. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, there's at the node level, but then in terms of building applications, you know, LND has a full API that, uh, you know, like your app use uh, your desktop app uses the LND, uh, RPC interface and really any, any programming language that has an RPC library, um, or, you know, maybe maybe you'll have to write the RPC library, GRPC library, 
Uh, also, I've I published a, my GitHub uh, thing called LN Service, so you can just npm install it if you're a if you're a Node.js developer, and uh, that just gives you JavaScript calls to call, and you can say dot uh, pay invoice and put in the invoice, and that's all you need to do. So it, I'm trying to make it easy for people to like integrate this stuff, and then it also exposes a REST API on the same on the same code base, so you can use any language you like, and then it just goes to the REST API. I mean, those are works in progress, but uh, so a guy joined that repository and he's been uh, helping to kind of, he's made his own project based on it. Um, so, you know, pull requests are definitely welcome. Like, yeah, there's so much stuff to do. Awesome. Well, I, I hope that this uh, podcast episode reaches the ears of plenty of developers who are wondering what to work on next. Yeah. So follow the Noted podcast on Twitter, subscribe, share, uh, follow Alex Bosworth on Twitter uh, go check out his GitHub repos. And um, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that LND or uh, Lightning Labs, like they've put together a good amount of documentation themselves. So if you're a developer looking to dig in, uh, there's lots of reading material there for you to, and a tutorial too to work through, which I am currently working through. All right, Alex, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I think that our audience has learned a lot and a lot has gone over their heads. And so I think that. Uh, this will require three or four listenings uh, to really absorb, uh, but the future is bright. Oh, great to talk to you guys, and thanks thanks for having me on to talk about lightning stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, we look forward to have you back on. Okay, for sure. Uh, we really appreciate your time. You discuss leading and maneuvering up and down the chain of command, but what about laterally within your own peer group, where the competition for advancement is fiercest? and your ability to set team objectives and implement some of the tools you discuss is limited. Okay, so you, you absolutely do have to lead laterally amongst your peers. And since you don't have rank or position, you have to do it another way. But wait a second, since you shouldn't use rank or position to lead people below you in the chain of command, and since you don't want to be led by someone that's throwing their rank and position around, then guess what? You need to do the same type of leadership that you would use up and down the chain of command to lead your peers. So what does that mean? That means you help them when you can. <laughs> you support what they're doing. You try and build a relationship with them. That's what you try and do. Now, this this part of this that we're, we're talking about, the competitiveness, like if they want to maneuver and try and make you look bad and jump in the spotlight and try and get all the credit, guess what? It's fine. Mm. That's fine. Let them do it. And, and everyone is going to see what they're doing. And they might not see it immediately, but they will eventually be found out. So do your best to support them. Do your best to help them. Do your best to build the relationship. Make the mission the most important thing, not the little politics that you're about to dive into and get involved in. Don't make that the primary thing. Make the primary thing accomplishing the mission. Think about this. If you start fighting with them, you're expending energy on fighting your own team. That's what you're doing. Instead of fighting the enemy, it's this is a blue on blue situation. This is friendly fire. It's fratricide. Don't do that. Disengage from the friendly fire and focus on how to make the team win. Mm. Take the high ground. Take the high ground, or the high ground will take you. Okay. 
another one of those points that we always say. I know I do. And I always think this where people are watching, man. Mm. They see that. They see that. They see all that stuff. Let's play this game too. You know the game where I play where like who would you hire? Who, yeah. who would you rather yeah, yeah, yeah. have working for you? Who yeah. would you rather have working for you? Yeah. The guy, the guy. Oh, you got four guys. One guy is helping the other guys out, trying to help them with their mission. One guy, the other end of the spectrum, is undermining people and trying to make himself look good. Which guy are you going to promote? Yeah. All day long, you know who you're going to promote. Yeah. You're going to promote the guy that's trying to help the team win and not just look out for himself. Yep. Yeah, fully. And then that's it. And consider that with not just your boss, but like your peers as well. You know, even if there's competition, let's say there's everyone's competing. Well, right? yeah. And you're the guy who's jumping in the spotlight, always whatever, versus the other guy who's always helping everyone. Right. Even the, even if they're competing with you, for sure. The guy who's jumping in the spotlight, he's gonna get ostracized if anything. He is. You know. So man, yeah, they they see that stuff, man. That goes socially too. You know what? Now 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 answer me this. Mm-hmm. When someone sees the world this way. That means they have a tendency to think that way. That means they might have a tendency to act this way. So they gotta be especially cautious. If you're looking at everyone like, well, I'm trying to compete with that guy, and if I might be getting screwed over if I don't if if I let him, you know, get the spotlight right now. If that's the way you're thinking, that's the way you're acting. And if you're acting that way, everybody can see it. Yeah. So don't act that way. Don't act that way. Be a good team member. Yeah. The enemy is outside the wire. Yeah, that's a good one too, where the good news about that is like let's say you are acting that way as long as you can admit it to yourself even if you do have those feelings inside but you're like hey i don't want to act like that right. and you start act, even if you know it's kind of against your feelings and then you start acting that way slowly and slowly your feelings kind of accommodate where you don't feel that way anymore you'll start to feel yes, that way you'll less start and less. to realize how you should act as a human being yeah. as a team member yeah. as a leader as a follower yeah. yeah you'll grow up you'll mature you'll be a good person yeah Feel the benefits. As opposed to just looking out for yourself and screwing over the other team. Yeah. The one's against me. Check. Kill or be killed.